0: Welcome to Take 10 for Mental Health. We are conversations with inspiring people about how they manage their mental health. My name is Sophia Hatsis. I'm the host of the show and I get the privilege of bringing you these conversations every week. We speak to people from all walks of life, like Gotcha for Life founder Gus Warland. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I truly believe that vulnerability is a new way to lead. There's stuff that we do that is good and there's stuff that we just don't know what we're doing. It's nothing wrong with being human and explaining that to the people that you love. Episodes drop on Monday, so make sure you're subscribed and you're the first to know when they're available. Hello and welcome back to Take 10 for Mental Health. My name is Sophia. I'm the host of the show and today we are joined by the wonderful Kate Cliff. Kate, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting with you today. Um Okay. before we get started, I usually like to ask my guests how they are on a scale of one to ten, one being the lowest of lows and ten being the highest of highs. Could you share with us today, um, you're currently in Dubai on a tour, but what would your... Uh, what, how would you rate yourself, I guess, on that scale today?
1: So when you say a tour, I'm I'm on an Australian and world tour of teaching and retreats, um, which, yeah, it feels like I am living my dreams. So I, I, I'm i high. I'm like
0: 9, 10,
1: yeah, feeling really extraordinary.
0: I'd love to find out a little bit more about what you were like as a child um, and what your sort of childhood was like. Can you take me back to to baby Kate and, and where you grew up?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Kiama on the south coast of New South Wales. Uh, I was the youngest of three, so I had two older brothers. Um, but yeah, so it was a bit of rough and tumble, um, <laughs> survive how you can. Um, and yeah I would say things were fairly um yeah it was really important to do well at school it was really important to do well at sport um I sort of probably built in some of those perfectionist tendencies really from a young age because that was sort of the way that we received love um and yeah I started kind of getting sick really like migraines um sort of from seven and um panic attacks that went i undiagnosed from 16 um yeah put a lot into um doing very well at sports so i was a representative netball player and great at tennis and um did really well academically um and had these two older brothers that were doing very, very well at sports and very well academically um, as well. Uh, Yeah, I think I, you know, I had a role model as well in my mom, who sort of the home was very perfect and everything was kind of in its right place. And, you know, that structuring and organising the outside world like that is coming from a place of wanting to be able to relax and be happy. Mm. Um, But you, I think, absorb all of that without necessarily realizing that you are Um, Mm. and so you know at home in order to you know not get in trouble and all of those sorts of things then you want to be perfect you want to have your shoes in the right spot and your school bag in the right spot and you want to have done really well you know on those tests at school and things like that Mm. Um, so yeah you know really from quite a young age I guess I you know really felt like those things were important in our household to be to be really mm. perfect and, and do everything the way that you're told um, that it needs to be done, um, and you know that that uh, that I I I feel like there wasn't a lot of um, conscious space within mum and dad to 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 manage. You know, too much. They were probably at their limit in terms of. Mm raising three children and both working and interest rates are rising and all of those sorts of things, so financial stress and stress on your time and, and um, you know, whether they had their outlets themselves to manage, um, you know, with life. And and I think, you know, um, definitely part of the way that they managed was, you know, trying to structure and organise that outside build, trying to have everything perfect because, you know, we think then we'll sleep at night, then we can relax and be happy. Um, Mm. And, yeah, it was just the the, the, the way of the
0: household. Can I ask if that was sort of the natural progression for you then to go into law? Because law is a very, I guess, on the outside, like prestigious um, and structured kind of job or career. Was that kind of why you you turned to law, was was that what interested you or did you do it as sort of another way to impress maybe the people around you?
1: Uh, so I wanted to be a number of different things in my life and they kind of weren't supported, I would say. Um, mm. So going to university was always um, almost a necessity, I would say. Um, both of my older, you know, mum and dad had both gone to uni and both of my older brothers went to uni And, um, I, uh, yeah, I was, you know, I started having panic attacks that went undiagnosed from 16, um, really flogged myself in year 11 and year 12 and look back and go, um, you know, if it, if it takes that much of you, then maybe it's not meant to be, you know, um, if, if, if the pressure of getting into law was that great, is it worth? your health? Uh, In hindsight, no. Um, I actually, in year 11, when I was picking my subject, I wanted to do early childhood um, teaching. So, there was community and family studies and there was another subject, um, early childhood kind of um, subject and and uh, at that point, my, my parents had my oldest brother kind of step in and, and talk to me about, you know, what, what are you what are you planning on, you know, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I, you know, I think I'd like to do early child teaching. And, and that was, I guess, um, there's a consideration that I was kind of lowering myself than what my marks would be able to um, get me. I was doing very well at school. Um, so I kind of needed to, I guess, reframe. I, I just loved children. I really wanted to work with children and that was kind of how I how I, you know, saw my life. And um so I decided that I would be a children's magistrate. So that I wanted to I wanted to protect children, I wanted to look after children. Um, and that was sort of the motivation um, that headed me toward law. Um, another really significant event though, my my grandmother and my cousin were killed um when I was in year eight. They were mm. killed by a um a drunk truck driver that ran a red light while, while speeding. Um and you know, I guess for me, um you saw what that did to um our families. Um and kind of, um, yeah, that sense of, of justice within me, that, that wanting to, um, uh, it, I mean, I, I don't think I felt yeah, that justice was served in that situation. Um, so there's definitely that was another um, factor there. But at no point um, within myself, sort of that it wasn't uh, the motivation to go into law, but absolutely there was um, externally,
0: um, you know, that was supported as a good idea. I'm really curious about you getting to your passion and I know that there was a, a turning point in your life that, you know, took you out of the legal industry and into a different path. Um, Would you describe to our audience what what that turning point was that that, um, changed your life really?
1: Yeah, so um, I guess, you know, to give some context, um, before I started that law degree, I actually went into full anaphylactic shock and almost died. Um, So I got diagnosed with a condition called um, cold urticaria. Um, So, I was coming out in all these worlds, and um, that week they thought maybe I was allergic to tomatoes. So, they were doing some allergy testing and things like that on me. And um, I went for a swim with some friends, and and on the way back, went into full anaphylactic shock and passed out. And in my small town back then, it was going to take half an hour to get a doctor to me. So, uh, sorry, get an ambulance to me. So, a local doctor broke into um, the doctor's centre and, and grabbed an adrenaline shot and brought me back to life. So, um, you know, I was then diagnosed with this um, autoimmune disease called Odecaria, which meant that I was literally allergic to being cold. So if I went swimming or to the snow, I was told that I would die. Um, so that's before I've even started the law degree. You know, there's this real kind of life um. You know, hit you over the head kind of moment, I think, to take a different direction. Um, that didn't happen because that wasn't the way that I was brought up. It's like life's tough, you're tougher, keep going. Um, so, you know, studying law in my second year at law, I went into, um, a coma. Um, I, I had, um, Toxic shock, shock, shock syndrome, um, and was told um, that there was a 25% chance I'd leave and have both my legs. Um, so, in a coma. Um, and then, just when I graduated, I had swine flu and pneumonia, um, and only just survived that. So, I was in the hospital on life support again. Um, somehow I graduated the top 5% of the uni, um, in the Dean's Merit List. And that's just that full, um, you know, give it everything at all costs. Um, I made my way into one of Sydney's top legal firms. Um, and I, um, was really Struggling, You know, I ticked all these boxes, I made it um, and I was feeling really unfulfilled um, and I was asking a lot of questions about what it meant to be happy um, because on paper I should have been happy and I wasn't and I was mentoring, I was being mentored, I was doing pro bono work um, and, you know, I was starting to, you know, I didn't have um, you know, a romantic male relationship in my life, I was starting to question you, know, is it possible to love your work or am I just trying to feel something, you know, get work to feel something within me? And and I, you know, I was asking my brothers because they seemed to love their work, and I was asking my mentors and and I was looking around at, you know, all these partners who I was being told I could be one day. And I was like, I don't want to be you. Um, I think maybe the world knew that electively I, I wasn't going to step away though. And so, um, I was being mentored by the UN delegate for the rights of people with disabilities. Everything was heading in the direction of working for the UN. Um, he was like, it's time to start your PhD. And both of my brothers had done their PhDs and I'd witnessed what that involved. I didn't really think that that was the path for me I you know had high levels of anxiety um and you know a PhD is very insular kind of work and but I like the idea of studying again um and yeah so I was working on this project for three months with Ron um McCallum and we were I'd gotten up early. We were delivering that day. So we were delivering um, um, a project um, about harassment, sexual harassment discrimination in the workplace, so an education program, um, and that went really great. It was to the heads of kind of all of HR of the biggest companies kind of through Australia, Um, and we were looking to, you know, roll that out to around Australia And, you know, that evening on such a high, I was on a pedestrian crossing and I was hit by a taxi at 60 kilometres. So hit me through my right side. Um, I was thrown onto the bonnet through my front and he wasn't stopping. So I was on the bonnet screaming for him to stop. Um, And when he finally did, you know, he slammed his feet on the brakes and the onlookers say I just went through the air like a rag doll and they were like, she's gone, you know, either not going to be able to survive the initial impact or, or, you know, hitting the asphalt. Um, But my handbag landed at this beautiful big handbag, handbag landed, and my head landed on it like a pillow. Um, But I had had spinal damage, um, brain damage, um, and really severe post-traumatic stress disorder. So, um, yeah, initially, you know, lying on my back, not being able to feel my legs—it was absolutely terrifying. Um, yeah, but um, you know, I'm at a point where, um, I, you know, I'm so grateful that that experience happened to me. Um, you know, it was, um, yeah, sort of. Um, I then spent sort of. 13 months um rehabilitating from that experience being told I'd have a lifetime of surgeries to my spine I'd be in a lifetime of pain and that I needed to let go of my hopes and my dreams that that wasn't going to be my life um so, yeah, two of Sydney's top neurosurgeons were saying, um, you know, I was negotiating, I was a lawyer, I was negotiating with them not to operate on my spinal cord um, because the risk were paraplegia, quadriplegia and death, and they were giving me a 6 out of 10 chance. Um, and I decided that, um, you know, I would start with new head of rehab, get a new team together. And the head of my rehab team said, you need to learn how to meditate. You know, you're, I was in the most extraordinary pain um, mentally and physically. So I was at a point where I couldn't take any painkillers anymore. They were doing internal damage to my organs. Um, and I couldn't sleep more than two hours a night. Um, that accident played over and over in my head like I was watching a movie. Um, and I was conscious for the whole experience. So it was like, I was watching it happen to me, um, continually. Um, so, um, yeah, we had sort of a really physical side and the mental side, um, to deal with because, you know, one day I woke up and I walked outside my house and I went to work and I almost died. So, you know, your whole nervous system is saying, do not leave the house. (laughs) It is scary out there. You might die. Remember that time we left the house and you almost died? Um, You know, I wasn't, my psychologist had me not watching TV because, you know, if all sorts of noises would trigger me. So, you know, if an ambulance noise came on, you know, those sorts of things, um, you know, severe panic inside of me, taking me right back to that those moments um but then yeah pain being kind of your body's protective mechanism as well so um physically you know you go to leave the house or go to do these things and the body gets you know gets a big rush of pain in it because it's trying to keep you safe don't go out there that that world is scary out there mm-hmm. um so yeah so my head of rehab was like you need to learn how to meditate you know, you're, you're not resting, your body's in fight-and-flight mode, you can't repair, um, and he went in on this really science-based level with me knowing that I was this scholar-rooted, you know, evidence-based lawyer. Um, and I learnt Vedic meditation um, and I tried different techniques with different psychologists um, and I'm grateful that I did try different things because it showed me how powerful Vedic meditation was. Your whole world is ripped out from under you mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, I added in meditation, and we just were able to it was just lift off, you know wow. you know, yeah, I'm doing a five minute grass walk and you know a few weeks Mm. later a six minute grass walk and a seven minute grass walk and um you know everybody in those places are looking at me, the staff and the other patients, like what is going on with her? I thought to manage, you know, essentially if this could be life my life, it could be their life too. And I'm handing out cards and web, you know, telling the website of my teacher. And you know nobody was learning and i'm saying to him i do not understand if i can do it they can do it if this can be my life that can be their life like why aren't they learning with you and he said they don't want to learn with me they don't i don't know anything about their
0: experience they don't know who i am they want to learn with you i really would love to know like how is it that you feel that meditation has changed your life and and maybe how might you recommend someone who's new to it get started because for a lot of people it can be that you know like I just can't sit still I just can't quiet in my mind like what 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 has it done for you and you know how would you recommend somebody get started who believes that they can't do it
1: yeah, so I teach exactly for that reason because I never thought I'd be able to meditate. Um, barely sleeping two hours a night, mind racing, body in so much pain. Um, and uh, the difference was that I, I got taught and learned a technique. So, Vedic meditation is very different to anything else out there. So, it's a 5,000 year old technique, it's been passed down from one teacher to the next in an unbroken lineage. When you come in to learn, you get given a mantra, which is a sound without meaning that's charming to your mind. So the same way that you have car keys and they work for your car and I have car keys and they work for my car, um, and they won't work vice versa. So I have no idea how cars work, but I have car keys and I put them in the engine, the whole thing starts to go. Um, So uh, that's why I teach Vedic meditation because – it's not difficult to learn. It's very simple to learn. Um, the results that people experience happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that deep rest and um, uh, that relaxation inside of the mind and body um, come naturally. Um, so it's an effortless technique. Um, I teach five-year-olds. I teach 85-year-olds. Anybody can learn. Anybody can do this. Um, it's about... Um, being passed on your mantra, you know, in the correct way, than anybody can learn. Um, so that's what I then spent a year studying i graduated in india um and i've spent almost 10 years now um teaching people how to do this for themselves um you know I, i am the least likely person to be able to meditate so when my life went from barely surviving to thriving i was just like i want that for everybody I want absolutely everybody um, to have this in their life, and for me, I was doing everything else there was, and this was the missing piece in that mm. puzzle. Um, so um, yeah, you know, it's a four-session course um, people can learn over two days or over four days. It's, it's not, you know, um, something that takes a long time to get good at, and you see results quickly, and then you have this tool in your life for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. you know, I, there's no way I thought doing something for 20 minutes, two times a day would have the impact that it has had on my life. Um, and yeah, that's, that's exactly why my life is devoted to, to wanting, you know, other people to know that, you know, I don't want anybody to go through the depths of where I've been and not know that there's a way through that. Life is what we make it. And, you know, I, I got hit by that, that car and it's why me? Like, have I not been through enough, you know? Mm. But actually, life wasn't, I don't think life wants to hit you with a car. <laughs> like, life doesn't want to have to get that loud to get your attention to enable you to course correct I think life's only going to turn up the volume like that um, when we're not listening. You know, I was just ploughing through life. Um, life's tough. I'm tougher. Um, you know, actually, that's the, you know, swim upstream model where you're getting, you know, hit in the head by rocks and <laughs> sticks and that. And life can be this beautiful float down the stream. Um, but, you know, we have to allow ourselves um You know, life doesn't have to be this tough Logging out. You know, I think that's the way that the universe talks to us about that that's not the direction for us to go in. We need to sort of, you know, follow charm fearlessly, say yes to yourself, follow yourself. What are the things that light you up? You know, Mm -hmm. head in that direction and more and more of that joy will, will unfold in your life for you.
0: I love that. Kate? i can't thank you enough for joining us and sharing your story um i'm so grateful for for it Uh, and yeah we're just watching your journey keenly and, and seeing the impact that you're having worldwide now so um thank you for spreading your gift and and for giving that love and that gift to so many people and a big thank you from us thank you you too so wonderful to chat with you thank you for having me on and lots of love to your, your listeners. Thank you for listening. Episodes drop every Monday morning and you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on your favourite podcast app. Remember to take 10 and check on The Man You Love today.